Hi guys, my name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Well, hello. Um, I am suffering from frustration. My last 14 hours have just been hell on earth. Like, I've just been like, which one of my enemies is working so hard? <laughs> So let me start from the beginning, from the last time you heard from me, which is last week's episode. So I came to New York to perform at a Moth main stage. The Moth is a storytelling nonprofit, and a year ago I did, I went through their global community program, and I graduated from the program, and I'd worked on a story about my mom. Uh, fast forward, they invite me to New York to perform that same story at uh, Moth Main Stage, which is a huge deal. And we were performing at the Jazz at Lincoln, I think that's what it's called. I don't know if I got the name wrong. Anyway, um, it was really amazing. We are five storytellers in total. Uh, the whole week in New York, we were meeting one-on-one -on -one with different people from the Moth to prepare. And then we also had group rehearsals. And then we had a group cast dinner that was amazing. On Wednesday, which was the performance night, I dare say I killed it. And I think it's because I practiced really, really hard. You know, I was waking up at 6 a.m., going over my story. I'd recorded it and I'd play it over and over in my headphones when I was walking, just so that it stuck in my head. And it worked. <laughs> I didn't forget even one line, so I'm pretty proud of myself. And the reactions from the audience afterwards was really amazing, even during the whole storytelling. I'm hoping the moth shares the story so that you can one day hear it. But in the meantime, I did share st uh, photos of me performing on my Instagram, which is at Adele Onyango. So Wednesday was absolutely fantastic. Ooh, something interesting that happened. So I was the first storyteller to perform, which I was very nervous about, but I got down and did it anyway. And during intermission, so the way the program is set up, it's three stories first, then a break, and then two stories afterwards. So during the intermission, all the way in the middle of freaking New York, right? The song that plays is my late mom's favorite song. Like, it was her ringtone. Pata Pata by Miriam Makeba. Yes. And it completely, like, took me out. I was like, what is... And the reason it like stood out for me is a year ago I was in Monaco and I'd gone there for a campaign I was doing with Johnny Walker and no, I don't have whiskey left over to give out. <laughs> and I remember when we landed in Monaco, which is such a beautiful place and it's like billionaire's heaven. The thought that went through my head first day we landed was, oh my God, I wish my mom was alive to kind of like see me travel to these places based on my merit and my skill and my talent and my hard work. And I was like, man, she would have really enjoyed knowing that I've gotten this far. That night, we were different, you know, ambassadors of the campaign and blah, 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 and guests of Johnny Walker. We went out for dinner and there was like a one-man karaoke band. Can you still call it a band? Anyway, one-man band <laughs> and he was performing various songs and we told him oh we're from africa there were two three four of us from africa and he goes like okay let me perform a special song for you guys and he starts performing pata pata my mom's favorite song which is just 
crazy, right? So then when this happened in New York, I was just like, I think she's, you know, in the moment and feeling it with me. And I like to think, and, and based on my feeling, and I know it will probably sound very strange, very weird to people. I like to think that she watches over me. I feel her sometimes. And sometimes things happen that I'm like, this is definitely not coincidence. It's not a coincidence. Like, this is not a coincidence. Pata Pata playing. In the intermission of my first time performing in New York, a story about my mom, not a coincidence. Not to me anyways. Um, so then Thursday morning, I left early to go to Chicago. And I was going to see my... Little sister stroke, little cousin, who is on 100 African Stories in this episode, so a little later. And I went to see her. She's moved out there. She's gotten the job she's always wanted, and I'm so proud of her. So I went to see her. <laughs> and she lives about an hour or so out of Chicago. I can't pronounce the place. <laughs> it's not pronounced the way it's written, so I'm just like, so now what did you guys want us to do? <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, so I go and we see the town a bit on Thursday. We go shopping in Chicago and then go back to her the town she lives in. And Friday, we also like do a bit more shopping. I got a few things for my husband because he likes camping and we spotted some really good camping stuff. And then we had an early night, but we did go for my first ever drag show so where the drag queens perform in this tiny little restaurant stroke pub that was nice we get home early because we have to wake up at 2 a.m because then she has to drive me to the airport because i have my 7 a.m flight from chicago to new york so that i can get my new york flight from new york to kenya the direct flight hey guys this is where my frustration begins <laughs> I don't know if you're ready, but hey. So, get to the airport on time. I'm at the airport by like 4 a.m. Ready, checked in. I asked them whether they can check in my luggage all the way to my final destination. He was like, no, it's a bit too, you're quite early, so it's too early for me to do that. I'm like, cool, it's fine. Because the flight from Chicago is going to leave at 7 a.m., and land in New York at 10.15. Then I had all the way until 1.25 to get my Kenya, my flight to Kenya. Hiya. <laughs> you guys, have you been so frustrated you laugh? That is where I am. I'm not laughing because I'm happy. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, wow. So I go and wait at the gates. I don't even have any coffee or whatever. I'm just like, my body, it's too early. I just wrap myself in a blanket and wait and wait. Then something tells me to look up at the monitor because I'm like, it's six. We really should be hearing calls for boarding. What's not happening? I see that they have delayed our flight to 7.25. I'm like, no probs. I'll still be on time for my Kenyan flight. I'm calm. So I let everyone, my husband, my cousin, um, the moth team that brought me here. I'm like, yo, this is the situation. They're like, cool, cool, no probs. 8 a.m. We are still there. Now I'm getting very scared. I'm like, shit, I'm actually doomed. But I think I can still make it. If only we bought that flight by latest 8.15, 8.30, I, it'll be a squeeze. But I can do it. 
because that would mean I would arrive in New York at 11.15, 11.30. No problem. I'd just really run, get my bag checked in. And I'd already checked in, so I'd just drop off my baggage, go through security, the TSA line, which is really long. But if you're late, they can let you jump it. And I'll make it to the gates before it's closed, which was 12.40. I was like, I think I can do that. One hour? Yes. I can do it, you guys. It's that you were still there. So now, apparently the issue is the flight needs two flight attendants. One flight attendant hadn't arrived, so we were all backed up. Nine, then they say, oh, he'll be here by eight. Eight, he hasn't come. Eight, 30, nothing. Um, I think we were boarding at about nine. Yes, we were getting on at nine. That's when the flight attendant came. By this time, I'm just like, Kwisha Mimi. I am finished. Get on. Chatted everybody, like from the moths, my husband, my cousin. So that while I'm in the air, they can be like doing what they need to do. If it's rerouting, I don't know. And you see, these two flight tickets were not bought together. They were gotten separately. Because, yeah. Anyway, so I'm stressed in the flights. And then we finally touch down at 12. I'm like, maybe I can fucking do this. Because the baggage drop-off point was to close at 12.25. So I go out, wait for my for my suitcase, get it, sprint to the air train, go to the, uh, the terminal that my flight's taking off from. I can't see Kenya Airways anywhere. I have to ask for directions. I go there, the chick is packing up. Like, there's no one. The only evidence that there was ever anything KQ here is the branded stuff she's packing up. And she's just like, imagine you've missed your flight. So immediately, I almost start crying. Because at this point, first, I'm missing my husband, the end. Like, I don't, I don't care how much street cred <laughs> that takes away from me. But I'm just like, imagine I just want my husband. I just want my house. I just want my bed. I just want to buy roasted maize from the guy right outside my gate. Like, I just want that. So she's like, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> she's like, okay, fine. You flew Delta. Head over to Delta. Let's see what they can do. I go to Delta. They're like, there's nothing we can do. I'm calling home. I'm just like, shit, I missed my flight. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Guys are calling back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Then we managed to reserve a ticket for now tomorrow, not today. But if this was happening all today, like <laughs> a few hours ago, we managed to reserve a ticket, a, a seat on the flight for tomorrow. And there's a lovely lady at the mouth called Ignatia and she's like working overtime to figure out the tickets. Then she's like, okay, hotel, these are your options, blah, blah, blah. I'm so happy that I have such a great support system whenever I'm in nonsense situations. Like I always find myself having people really supporting me while I'm just like seated. I was literally seated on the floor at the airport. Like I wanted to cry, but then I didn't have, you know, you need like big shades just to hide. I wanted to cry. Then I was like, I should go to the bathroom and cry. But then I don't have the energy to go to the bathroom. Me, I'm just going to sit on this floor. And that's what I did. So I've just currently checked into a hotel right next to the airport. And hopefully I should be on the flight tomorrow. I've reserved a seat. We'd made a payment. But because of the time difference, the online team in Kenya had clocked out. So I have to wait until 8 a.m. Kenya time to for them to confirm that they got the payment. But at least we made the reservation. 
So that's where I'm at, guys. My back is aching. I'm just about to have cookies and coffee and start editing this episode so that it can take my mind off the madness. But it's been quite, quite the 14 hours, but the week was beautiful. The week was beautiful. And, you know, I'm trying to focus on that and be like, you know, I'm grateful for that. So on 100 African Stories this week, I am Stephanie, who's a Kenyan living here in the States shares about African identity. And this is something that's come up quite a lot as I'm recording their 100 African stories. I've had a few people question whether they're African enough because maybe their upbringing wasn't in the country of their birth in Africa, or maybe they were born in Africa and then their family moved off the continent. And so they always felt a sense of being detached from that African identity. And it's happened before when I asked, okay, can I record you in 100 African stories? There are actually people who are scared and they're like, I'm not sure I'm African enough. And I almost have to talk to them and be like, wherever it is you are, there's Africa in you. It's very valid. Your story is very worthy. Just because it doesn't look like the stories of the Africans residing on the continent in the African countries doesn't mean yours is not valid. So she takes us through her journey in trying to navigate this identity and just some very painful things that she went through as a Kenyan going to a school in Botswana and then moving to the States. And I hope it can open up our minds to just identity and even just on a personal level. What does that look like for you? And what are some of the things that you're struggling with when it comes to figuring out your identity. Maybe you live very far from your family and from your friends or from the culture that you know and you're just trying to piece together this new identity. It can be very hard. And Stephanie's story really opened up my eyes to that. And so I hope you guys enjoy it. A hundred African stories. There is no proper life that you live in university as a musician. If I constantly just walked around feeling sorry for myself, I'm never going to get anything done. Uh, there was a bit of frustration in between all of that. I've been breaking my back for this company. Therapy is not for the weak or for the crazy. Stories from Africa. Hi, my name is Stephanie and I'm from Nakuru. I grew up in Gaborone. Right now, I'm living in Milwaukee. U.S. Basically, what my journey looks like, I said I was born in Nakuru, and I lived there until I was seven years old. And then my family moved to Botswana, and I didn't even know that Botswana existed. So it was pretty exciting to be able to get on a plane for the first time and move to this uh, new country. You know, growing up in Kenya, as such, being so young, I never really realized that I was this dark-skinned black girl, and I didn't really have this idea of what being Kenyan meant. You know, there's different nationalities really in the continent, and that we're all so different. So moving to Botswana, I felt like, you know, this is just moving, it's like changing schools. I'm going to meet different friends from different backgrounds, the same way I'd met them in Greenstead. It's like everything was going to be fine. I was just going to jump into school. Something that I started to realize was, as I progressed through the grades, was I was what they would call in Botswana, which is a foreigner. And it was really strange for me because I was 
not getting this from my white school friends, but from my black school friends. You know, them telling me that, okay, you're Kenyan, you can't speak Setswana, you're not from here, you know, you're not part of us. That was very alienating for me because I'm a black girl, I'm African. Isn't that something that should be uniting us? Um, yeah, I was a black girl in this black country where I wasn't being accepted into the black community, uh, which I thought was very strange. Fast forwarding a little bit more, you know, into middle school, high school, I got that whole thing of, oh, you're too dark, you know? That mm. was the main theme of it all. I had this dark skin and, you know, they'd compare my skin to, you know, they'd put cell phones up across against my skin and say, oh, you're black like the cell phone. I mean, I wasn't as black as the cell phone. I didn't think that my brown skin was dark like that. Not that there's anything bad with dark skin, but it just felt, I just felt so ugly around the people who I thought were supposed to make me feel comfortable. I was very lucky to have a community of friends with different backgrounds, you know, white, Indian, Chinese, um, half Matswana, half a British, who did accept me and who did let me into their community. We were kind of like a hodgepodge of different cultures. Mm. And I feel like that's where sort of my third culture kid identity started. It was, I kind of became a mesh of different cultures coming together, but I still always at the back, you know, always felt, you know, really bad that, you know, I wasn't accepted into the, the black community, the African community. I wanted to hang out with the African girls and I could never really do that because, you know, I was too dark. And then to put more on top of that, I swam, I played the cello, I played the piano. So I was also too white. Uh, so it was like, I would never really win in when I was living in Gaborone. So, you know, I, I grew up there for the majority of my life. And, you know, that's really where, you know, all my clothes, all my belongings, all my things are in Gaborone. But I really never feel like I'm going home when I go there. And we've lived there for almost 18 years. Like I said, I moved there when I was seven. But I've never felt connected there. So there was always that part of my identity where it's, it forms such a huge part of who I am. And yet I still felt, I still feel like an alien when I go there. Uh, I still feel very weird you know, knowing people put the flags of like where they've lived. I always feel very weird putting the Botswana flag because I feel like I, I'm not allowed to because mm. when I was there, the people there didn't accept me. So I, I don't have the right to claim that despite that being my home. I do remember when we were at, my family and I were at, uh, I think it was a spa, which is, a shopping like a Nuchumi or a Tuskies, I guess, of Botswana. I remember the lady at the kiosk was talking to me in Botswana, and I told her, hey, I, I don't understand what you're saying. And I remember she just looked at me, and then she looked at her, uh, the lady who was doing the bagging, and she said some. I don't know what she was saying, but I remember her distinctively saying, quere, quere. it just made me feel like very alienated at that point you know I knew she wasn't saying something positive it just always made me feel so sad that we were 
as Africans, we're so divided in that sense when we really should be coming together and supporting each other. My father is a Luya. From the Luya tribes, that's sort of a Bantu language group. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot in common with Setswana. Even my last name means the exact same thing in Setswana. The other part of me is Luo, and there's very, it's not very similar things in the language between Lu and Luya, but I have this similarity with people in Southern Africa, and yet they made me feel like you know, I could never be a part of them. We have nothing in common. My first encounter with colorism was actually in Kenya, and it didn't hit me until I got to Botswana that I was experiencing colorism. I did a short stint in Aga Khan in Nairobi. I remember putting my hand up all the time and the teacher would ask questions. And I was very young. I, I couldn't have been past, maybe I was in standard two, but I remember it so well. And I kept on putting up my hand and she would never pick me, just never pick me. And I remember being in the car with my dad and I turned to him and I say, dad, I think the teacher is discriminating against me. And when he retells the story, he says that he was very shocked at the fact that I knew the word discrimination, but it figures because we'd have like 40 spelling words in year one, which was crazy. I remember when the first time it happened to me in Botswana was with swimming. I remember beating this one girl in a race. She was a white girl. And I got out of the pool and I look at my coach and I'm expecting my coach to be super excited. And my coach said absolutely nothing to me, looked at the white girl and started to console her. I realized that they were not happy that I had beat this girl, this white girl. It wasn't a good thing for me to achieve as a black girl. I had the exact same teacher as my maths teacher in year five. And I remember doing my maths problems and I didn't think that, I didn't think I was, you know, I wouldn't say I was the sharpest in math, but I didn't think I was the bottom of the class. And she would always go to my mom and tell her, Stephanie's struggling in math, Stephanie can't hold a protractor the right way around. And I would always just be like, that's not true. Like, I know that, I, that I'm doing well, this, this is not true. And I I couldn't understand it at that time why she was, she felt like she had to make me be lesser than who I was until I started to realize, you know, the remnants of apartheid were still sort of seeping in to to my schooling life. And Mm -hmm. I realized, I was like, oh, it's because I'm black. Like, she does not want me to be better than this white girl. She does not want me to be doing well in class because I am a black girl. Being teased for my darker complexion definitely started before. And I think because it had happened so much, when the cell phone incident happened, I was so numb to it. And I remember even at the time laughing it off with them, taking a step back and realizing that I was actually in pain from that moment. I remember there was a time when they were like, let's line up in in order of our skin tone. And everybody ran ahead of me, you know, so that I would be the one at the end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would be very quick things like that. Things that happened so fast 
that you don't even have the time to thoroughly understand and compute what's happening. And mm-hmm. it's only afterwards when you sit down, you're just like, oh, shit, they're really taking jabs at me and it's really hurting me until you just develop this protective layer over yeah. yourself where when they say something, you laugh it off to make it seem like, oh, you're not hurting me. Like, yes, I have dark skin. I'm okay with it. But really, it really did hurt. And it really did make me lose some of my self-confidence. I remember, you know, during the time when Facebook had just come around and everybody was posting pictures. And I remember when I used to edit my photos, sometimes I'd I'd sort of push the brightness up so that Mm -hmm. you could see my skin a little bit lighter, I guess. And now when I, you know, nowadays when I edit my picture, I'm always pushing the contrast the other way because I'm like, ooh, black skin magic. I always, every time I do that, I always remember how far I've come from and how I had to work so hard to patch those wounds. Moving to college, moving to the U.S. was probably where I noticed I have this, I don't know if I want to call it an identity crisis or this third culture kids sort of hodgepodge thing going on where I was just being okay with the fact that I embody a mixture of so many different cultures from being around so many different people and even just within myself as well um, being a Kenyan and not only just being a Kenyan from where my parents are both Luos but my parents are from two different tribes and just embracing that was definitely moving to college it was very hard for me my first semester because I'm in college and I have this mentality of throughout my whole entire schooling life, the black community has not accepted me. So the first thing that I'm going to do when I get to college is not, is obviously not look for the black community because to me, they don't, they don't accept me. I kind of tried to find friends from different backgrounds, which was very difficult because I am a African girl who is majoring in engineering and As everyone knows, engineering, especially in a predominantly white institution, is predominantly white males. So for them, you know, they're like, oh, this black girl, like, we don't know how to relate to this African black girl. And I remember one day this guy asked me, like, how did you learn how to use a computer? And I was just like, what do you mean? Didn't you have one in your house? I got to this point where I was like, I, I didn't even know where to find my community it was just it was I was just just kind of trying to I started off with this clean slate Mm -hmm. of trying to build up on and and be comfortable with who I was and then now trying to find people who would accept me into their community so the weird thing about college was there was this flip now where I eventually found my community that accepted me and they were predominantly black but now just kind of getting used to that flip which was kind of which was nice you know but it was still very odd for me because it was still kind of like are you guys sure I'm allowed in this club like Mm -hmm. I can really join and then I also know that I, I tried to there was a small Kenyan community and I tried to be a part of that community but I wasn't Kenyan enough to be with the Kenyans because I didn't grow up in Kenya 
I don't know the Kenyan lingo. I don't know what's in, what's not in, in Kenya at all. I don't speak Swahili with, you know, the Kenyan accent, and I don't really speak English with the Kenyan accent. So every time I'd say I'm Kenyan, they're like, are you really? And I have to prove it. You know, I have to be like, yeah, I'm from Nakuru. And they're like, where Nakuru? And I'm like, oh, Baruch Road, where is that? I'm like, it's near Greenstead. Okay, but are you really, really from Nakuru? And I'm like, yes, I was born in Nakuru War Memorial. And they're like, okay, but like, who are your people? And then I have to explain, you know, who my people are. And they're like, okay, so you're Luya. Well, where are your Luya people from? And it's like an interrogation to really, really prove that, okay, yeah, I guess you are Kenyan. I think I just started to realize that I was trying to just fit myself into these buckets. You know, I'm Kenyan, I should be with the Kenyans. I'm Black, I should be with the Black people. And instead of that, it's, I realized that I can create for myself a community of people from different places around myself. I didn't have to fit into this bucket because I clearly don't fit into these specific buckets. I'm a mixture of so many different things. And I think that's college where I started to realize that I could do that. Like I'm allowed to dibble and dabble. Is that even a word? Is that a phrase? I'm allowed to <laughs> You know, I'm allowed to be a part of different communities and it's okay. When people ask me, where is home? I don't feel comfortable saying Gaborone. I don't necessarily, it's not that I'm not deeply patriotic. I love Kenya, but I haven't grown up in Kenya. I, mm -hmm. yes, there is a house to go to in Kenya, but I just don't feel like I for lack of a better way of putting it, earn the right to say that, oh yeah, home is Kenya. Where I really grew up, I would say on my own without the backbone of my parents is upstate New York. And so, but I was living in a dorm room. So that's not really home, I would say. So some, so I kind of give people the, my background. I usually just say, well, I'm Kenya born, I live in Botswana, but I'm from way of New York. But kind of just getting to that idea of saying that I'm just a third culture kid. Home is wherever I make it. Home is where my family is right now. I, I realize that I don't have a specific tie to a specific place. And mm -hmm. I never used to understand that when people would be like, home is where your loved ones are. I'd be like, no, home is where there's a roof over your head. But now I'm, I get it. Like, I really get that home is where you feel safe and around people who make you feel safe. Catch our next African stories in the next episode. Man, and speaking about home, I just really want to get a home. <laughs> I mean, New York and everywhere I've been has been fantastic, but I'm like, ah, just the way Stephanie has said, you know, a place where you feel safe with people who make you feel safe. And that's what I want. But I have to um, explain in case you're wondering about the audio. We did that story recording over Skype. So I'm just starting to do that just so that I can have more African voices on a hundred African stories. So not only the people around me, but you know, using technology <laughs> to spread our wings a bit. And pretty soon I'm going to be giving you a chance to nominate people who should be featured 
on 100 African Stories and even sending a short demo of a story maybe you have that you want to share. So that's coming soon. I'm working really hard to grow Legally Clueless. I'm working hard to also take it on the road. First, of course, in Kenya and then hopefully outside Kenya. But all I can say is I wouldn't have been able to get it to this point without you who's listening so thank you so much make sure you join our insta tribe just search for at legally clueless podcast and that's it for this episode of legally clueless you can share this podcast with your friends you can keep it for yourself i'm not judging just make sure you're here next week for the next episode